Hello and welcome to episode 225 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. Today's story is one that is quite hard to fully comprehend really happened. But what is for sure is that it's a shocking story that you won't forget. A huge thank you to Steve Percival for the research and writing of this story. And I need to make you aware that though I've not included any graphic details, the story does involve young children. A quick thank you to Krista and Jade from Quirky Candles for sending me one of their awesome candles. You can find them on Instagram at Quirky Candles. Go and take a look. You may also know that I'm running live events, a UK true crime live, with Chantelle from the Lady Justice podcast. The next one is this Thursday at 7.30pm when we're talking to podcasting royalty, the true crime enthusiast. The format is me and Chantal chatting to the guests for 15 minutes or so and then it's over to you to ask your questions. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Tickets are completely free so get yours now. Just search Crowdcast Adam Lloyd or head to UKTrueCrime.com to get your tickets. I'll see you there. As always a huge thank you to all my supporters on Patreon but especially those new members of this exclusive club. That is Rachel Wardley, Katie Bates, Lorna Tilly, Lou Barton, Chris Warriner and Vera Atterbury. Thank you all so much for your support which is much appreciated. Remember to send me your mailing address so I can post you some welcome goodies and don't forget the February competition that's still running for another week which offers three awesome true crime books including Manhunt by Colin Sutton. Join us at patreon.com slash a UK true crime. I'm delighted that this episode is sponsored by Aura Frames. Are you looking for a present for Mother's Day? One that will be really appreciated? Well, I can help. Aura Frames make gorgeous, living room worthy frames that are the ultimate gift this Mother's Day. Aura Frames are super easy to set up and use, even for the technologically challenged. You can even add photos ahead of time and surprise mum with personalised memories that will appear on the frame like magic. And with a high resolution screen that elegantly displays your favourite family photos, it's the best display available and it doesn't even look like a screen. With free unlimited storage, you can send endless photos straight from your phone to the frame and you'll never run out of space. So you can invite the entire family to join. But don't just take my word for it. Besides being selected twice by Oprah, Aura has been featured in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Forbes magazine and several high-end home decor publications. Wirecutter recently named Aura's Mason frame its top pick for best digital frame. So with Mother's Day right around the corner, what better way to show someone you care than giving the gift of memories year-round? For a limited time, Aura is offering this podcast listeners 15% off their purchase with the code MOTHER to be used by Mother's Day. That's the 14th of March, 2021. So search Aura Frames today and use the code MOTHER to claim your 15% off. Before we start today's story, let's set some quick context and play the guest of month and year game. Top of the UK music charts was River from Eminem featuring Ed Sheeran. In the US, it was that man Sheeran again with his tribute to my podcast, Perfect. And in Australia, it was somebody's name I can't pronounce featuring Florida George Line with Meant to Be. B. 
being unable to pronounce has never stopped me before, has it, right? In the news this month, in the Arras World Championships, retiring 16-time title holder Phil Taylor lost 7-2 to fellow Englishman Rob Cross in the final at the Ali Pali in London. Is there a more difficult venue to access? It makes Wembley look easy. Not that I go there much, of course, following the mighty leads. This month saw YouTube issuing sanctions against the vlogger Logan Paul after he decided to post footage of a suicide victim's body in Japan. Elton John announced his latest retirement from touring. I reckon we'll cope, don't you? And in UK true crime news, John Venables, one of the killers of James Bolger in 1993, was charged with possessing indecent images of children. Did you get the month and year? It was January 2018. This week's episode takes place in Rugby, a small market town in Warwickshire, around 80 miles northwest of London. The town is most famous for the sport that takes its name, which was invented at the independent school by Webb Ellis. Louise Porton was 22 years old. She was a part-time model and a single mum to two young daughters, 17-month-old Scarlett Vaughan and three-year-old Lexi Draper. Louise originally lived in Walsall with her partner Chris Draper, where they had their eldest daughter Lexi. But when Louise was pregnant with their second child, the couple split up. Louise decided that she didn't want the father to play any active role in the life of their current child or the expected child's life, and so she made the decision to move away to ensure there was distance between the children and the father, and this is how she ended up in rugby. I think it's fair to say that the split wasn't amicable. Shortly after moving away, Louise gave birth to Scarlett, and as Louise didn't want her ex to be part of their lives, she decided to give the child a different surname to Draper, and she was called Scarlett Vaughan, with Vaughan being the last name of her current boyfriend. That relationship didn't last long, and so Louise was a single mum of two young children. Being just 22 years old and a mum to two children is tough, and with no partner and family and friends locally, it was a real challenge for Louise. She was struggling to make ends meet, and the more time she spent alone with the children, the more she wanted time away from them. And slowly, as time progressed, every weekend the children would be given to a family member, and Louise would then party hard all weekend, with the bulk of the money that she managed to bring in going towards that party lifestyle. The stresses of this lifestyle with looking after two little children were also becoming more apparent at home, with people observing that she was snappy. She swore a lot and she was being far more aggressive towards the children than she had been. Some people did voice their concerns to social services, but this wasn't actively pursued, and on the surface of things, despite being in a pretty challenging situation, the children were clearly well fed and they seemed happy. In the early hours of the 15th of January 2018, an emergency call came in to 999. It was the call that operators dread and one that is every parent's worst nightmare. Louise Porton had gone into her three-year-old daughter's room in the night to check on her, only to find her unresponsive. An ambulance crew were immediately called out to the house, but there was nothing they could do, and when they arrived, Lexi, 
had tragically already died. The cause of death was asphyxiation, and it appeared that she had been dead for some time. A post-mortem was carried out, and the result was that whilst there was no natural cause for Lexi's death, there were also no suspicious circumstances. Just 17 days after this awful event, and only a few days after Lexi's funeral, Louise had to make another call, this time to 111. It was about her other daughter, 17-month-old Scarlett, who had fallen ill. The emergency services had offered to send somebody out, but Louise was naturally worried and decided there wasn't enough time to wait for an ambulance, so she put Scarlett into her car and started to drive towards the hospital. Somewhat strangely, she made a stop at the local petrol station, filling up the car and getting a couple of other bits before continuing on her way. She got as far as Elliot's retail park in Rugby when she had a change of heart. She pulled over and made the call for an ambulance. Once again, by the time the medical experts arrived, it was too late, and young Scarlett was pronounced dead on arrival at the hospital. Tragically, both of Louise's young daughters had died and less than three weeks apart. Naturally, the police were now suspicious. Although children do die each year of asphyxiation in their beds, and there are rare cases when children do fall ill suddenly and fatally ill, but for both deaths to happen in such a short space of time to the same family certainly warranted investigating. Very early into the investigation, there were some worrying signs. A very quick check of Louise's internet history showed that in the hours leading up to Lexi's death, she had googled and researched how long it took dead body parts to go cold. Just why would she have researched this just before her daughter died? The police began a detailed investigation into the weeks before the children's deaths. It turned out in January there had been several calls to 999 and two hospital admissions. On the 4th of January, Louise had called to say that her child had been sick in the night and was unresponsive. Louise was given life-saving instructions over the phone and a paramedic was called out. Just two days prior to this, Louise had called 999 saying there had been an emergency of the children and that she needed an ambulance. However, just minutes later, she called again to say that the father had now arrived. She cancelled the ambulance and she said she could make her own way to the hospital. On both occasions, the hospital had decided that Lexi's breathing difficulties were caused by a chest infection and she was given a course of antibiotics. Detective decided to take a deeper dive into Louise's internet history and the results were, well, they were very strange to say the least. Louise had extensively researched into children that had died from the flu virus and had even googled how long does it take for a dead body to go cold up to the shoulder and how long after drowning can someone be resuscitated. It also showed that just 24 hours after the death of her daughter Lexi, Louise had spent a lot of time on her dating apps, either accepting requests or contacting other people she'd contacted 41 different people on there. Maybe she was in shock and denial about what had happened, but this certainly didn't really fit any profile of somebody who was grieving. At the same time, detectives decided to do a detailed post-mortem examination of Scarlet, as well as re-examining the body of Lexi. 
It had been established that both children up to their deaths had been of a good weight, well nourished, and they'd been well looked after. However, the post-mortem revealed that both little girls had died of deliberate airway obstruction and there were some unexplained bruises on both of their bodies. In light of this overwhelming information, detectives now had no choice but to view this as a murder investigation. Whilst the police investigation was ongoing, people who knew Louise began to grow suspicious. Like many young people, Louise had always been active on social media, and this continued after the deaths of her daughters. Immediately afterwards, she posted photographs of her girls and of the tragic events. But over time, more and more people began to challenge her on social media, and Louise's responses were getting more and more aggressive. Her mum, Sharon, who still lived in Walsall and had been a wonderful and supportive grandma, and had stuck by her daughter the whole time. But at the start of March, she tried to talk to Louise about the police investigation and the social media posts that her daughter had been making. Louise's response was not good and much to the horror of Sharon. Her daughter had physically attacked her, punching her in the head. This was the last straw for Sharon, who openly said afterwards that the angel she once knew had gone and in its place was a monster that she could no longer call her daughter. On the 20th of March 2018, Louise was arrested on suspicion of the murder of her two young daughters, but it wasn't until 2019 that she was finally charged. The harrowing court case took place in July that year, with the trial lasting 28 days. Louise maintained her innocence. She had not proactively helped detectives during the investigation, but she prepared a statement for her defence which said this. My children were never an inconvenience to me and I accommodated my lifestyle and personal life around them. I still don't know how my daughters died or what caused it. It is correct that life as a single mum was financially difficult, but I never asked anyone for money and any suggestion that I use my daughter's illness or death to make any money is wholly inaccurate and wrong. During the trial, some disturbing aspects came to light. A number of people said that following the deaths, not only did Louise seem okay, and far better than anybody would expect, but she didn't even seem to care. She even sarcastically yawned when asked what she wanted to do with her daughter's belongings, and was described as acting as if she had lost a goldfish, not a daughter. Louise's social media activity came in for heavy criticism. For example, for advertising the clothes of her daughters online, claiming that the children had outgrown the clothes. The wording and the lies seemed so disrespectful at the very least. And even at Lexi's funeral, Louise was laughing and joking, and shockingly was even heard saying that Scarlett would be next. It was heard that in the run-up to Lexi's funeral, while actually at the funeral home organising arrangements, Louise took some time out to take a call from a man to arrange a date. A lot was also made of Louise's professional life. She'd always put herself forward as a part-time model, but the reality is that she was a sex worker, and the modelling that she generally did was for fetishes. As you know, We don't judge how anyone makes money on this podcast. Well, except the state agents, obviously. And maybe one day society will stop judging 
on how we all make our money, right? But I digress. Less than a week after her first daughter's death, Louise offered a photographer to, I quote, do whatever he wanted for a day for £300. And even a couple of hours after paramedics were called out, she was arranging another visitor, as long as it was cash up front. The point about mentioning this is not the work she was doing, but the text messages shown in court suggested it wasn't so much a case of getting money in to support the family, but more the fact that the children were getting in the way of her sex work. The tabloids, as you may recall, loved the shocking details revealed during the trial, including stories of men brought back to the house for paid sex in the same room as her children slept. Louise said that she told them not to make too much noise. And even while she was at the hospital, she had taken topless photographs from the hospital bathroom and had passed her personal details onto the hospital security guard. The police had found a pillow with blood on it, which they believed to be one of the murder weapons. But even without this evidence, everything seemed to be pointing to Louise being guilty. And it was no surprise on the 1st of August 2019, when the jury delivered their verdict, and Louise was found guilty of the murders of Lexi and Scarlett. She would have to serve a minimum term of 32 years. On sentencing, the judge said, You are now 23 and stand convicted of murdering your two children. There is only one sentence, and that is a mandatory life sentence. With Lexi, you tried to pass her death off as an unexpected, natural death. You pretended you were driving her to hospital. The truth is that both children died because you obstructed their airways. Text messages and internet searches done on your mobile phone show a degree of premeditation. I'm sure that you are responsible for the events that led to Lexi's admission to hospital. Your internet searching was sinister. You delayed calling for an ambulance until you were sure she was dead. One way or another, you squeezed the life out of your daughters. While you did so, only you know. Your actions have devastated so many lives. Lexi and Scarlett had so much to offer to their wider family, but you took all of that away. A lot was made in court of the fact that Louise's children got in the way of her sex work, and it was this angle that made most of the headlines in the press. Of course, the reasons in reality are far more complex and only Louise knows why she did what she did. This crime had an effect on the entire family who loved the children so much, but Louise's mum found it particularly tough. Not only had she lost her grandchildren who meant so much to her, but she also felt she lost her daughter. She could never forgive her daughter for what she did and it haunted her every day and she came out publicly to say that she no longer considered Louise to be her daughter. Louise's mum was also very critical of social services, and said that there had been so many clear warning signs in the weeks and months up to the children's deaths, and somebody should have stepped in. Tragically, all these events proved too much, and Louise's mum, Sharon, in February 2020, at just 48 years old, took her own life. She'd been so haunted by the actions of her daughter and one line that she said after the trial really sticks with me. She's not the happy loving girl I brought up. I no longer consider her my daughter. So what did you make of today's story? 
For me, this is such a tragic case. So often on this podcast, we hear of needless lives being cruelly taken, but my heart really sinks when it involves two people of such a young age being killed by the one person that they love the most and look to for care and protection. I think it's hard for many of us to appreciate just how difficult it is for young parents bringing up their children in often challenging environments. But she didn't kill them on a day when she hit rock bottom. Instead, it seems she spent a long time calculating how she would end her daughter's lives, how she would end the lives of her two daughters without arousing suspicion. Louise's mum, Sharon, had singled out social services and I've criticised the authorities in the past, but I think in this case there was very little to act on. The children seemed happy and healthy and the hospital didn't flag anything. And their conditions at home, whilst not perfect, were certainly not bad enough to consider the need to rehome them. Like last week's story, I do have concerns that the first death was accepted as not being suspicious. And this begs the question that if Louise had not killed her second daughter, would she have got away with killing Lexi? But as it is, Louise Porter is in jail for a long time. And as she's in her cell as we listen to this podcast, I wonder how she thinks now about what happened. Is there real genuine remorse for what she's done? And do you think she will ever be released? Or should be? Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of the UK True Crime Podcast. And a big thank you to Steve Percival again for the writing and research of this story. To discuss this case or any other aspects of UK True Crime, please head to the Facebook group where you'll be made very, very welcome. Don't forget to join me and Chantal from the Lady Justice Podcast as we speak to the True Crime Enthusiast on Thursday at 7.30. Just search Crowdcast. Adam Lloyd, or look on any of my social media to find the details. Tickets are completely free. And to support the show and win the three fantastic true crime books, please just head to patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime. So that is all for me for today. So thank you again for joining me. And until we speak again next week, take it easy, despite all the others. Trust me, trust me, trust me. Despite all the others. If it wasn't all the others, everything would be fine, right? That and no more kings of Leon, but that's another story. So on that bombshell, cheerio for now, and most of all, stay classy. <laughs>